Hey friends, recently we've had a few of you reach out to ask us a question. You'll ask us, Hey Ranking the Beatles, how do we support y'all? That's a really great question, and we appreciate the ask. So what we've done is we've partnered up with Buy Me a Coffee. If you're enjoying the show, you can buy us a coffee. If you're enjoying our web content, you can buy us a coffee. If you're enjoying the Facebook or Instagram or tweets, you can buy us a coffee. And now what are we talking about? Because how are you going to buy us a coffee if we're not in the same place? Or not the same coffee shop. Are you going to send us coffee? No, I don't think so. But what you can do is go to RankingTheBeatles.com, our sweet, sweet website designed by Julia. And on that website, you'll see in the corner a little coffee cup. And you click on that coffee cup, and it'll let you put some virtual coffee into our bellies. And by virtual coffee, it's a couple bucks. Because it does cost us a little bit of money to do this podcast. And uh, while, you know... We're not here to get rich. It does help cover those expenses, and we thoroughly appreciate it. Also, it's nice to just know you like what we're doing. So, if you're into it, buy us a coffee. We want to thank our new Buy Me a Coffee supporters, uh, Mark Hughes and Michael Warner. They've bought us coffees and kept us highly caffeinated, which is why we sound so excited in this bit. So, thank you for the coffee. Uh, If you enjoy it in the future and want to get us coffee, we'll gladly take your coffee. So, that's enough about coffee. Let's get back to the show. One, two, three, ah! We rank the Beatles, we rank the Beatles, we rank the Beatles. Yeah! We rank them! <laughs> oh, man. That's a, uh, that's that's a gem. We should just end this right now. <laughs> just pack uh, it in. for the four of you that have stayed. Welcome to Ranking <laughs> the Beatles, episode number fifty-seven. That's very generous of you. Yeah, <laughs> thank, I'd like to thank uh, Kyle for sticking around <laughs> and uh, your mom and uh, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jonathan. Over here to my left, the wonderful and illustrious and fantabulously tan today. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm Julia. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought you were introducing me. Sorry, I was going to let you drop your own name there. It's fine. It's thanks. okay. Oh, you're going to allow me now? Oh, I'm, oh, oh, I'm just kidding. Man, you're fine. Don't make me feel bad. It's Come okay. on. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little tired today. It's okay. We had a. It's been a busy week down here at RTB headquarters. Yes. It's been a busy week. Hopefully, y'all are having a good week and uh, and holding up well out there. Things are getting a bit dicey back out in uh, in public. It seems. The old Delta variant rearing its head, trying to keep us back on lockdown. Don't like it. Hopefully, um, you know, if, you, uh, if you've been unable to get your vaccination, hopefully you can do that soon and we can keep getting those numbers up and keeping this, uh, vac- this, uh, keeping this Delta variant down and try to uh, get back to normal life sooner than later. That would be cool because uh, we want to travel. We want to go visit people. We want to go to Liverpool and London. Maybe see our new friends. Go to, you know, Houston. I just want to go anywhere. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go to Houston all that bad, but okay. I just want to, you know, I want, I want, want to be back to normal again. So let's try to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. But um, I mean, because you know, I'm sure Paul wants to go back on tour. I'm sure Ringo mm-hmm. has dates that he needs to, that he wants to get back out there and do. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen Ringo. I'd like to see Ringo. Oh yeah. Yeah. We I should would, do that. I would like to. Okay. But you know. Pandemics, oh, cool. He's not touring at the moment. At the well, no, he's not. 
But uh, next year he's supposed to be. Hopefully we can go oh, good. and see him. That'd be great. Um, anyway, what's up this week? We got a good show, friends. We do. We're glad you're here. Uh, one of the things that is really exciting these days is, uh, you know, this wave of Beatles podcasts that have popped up during the pandemic. I don't know if it's third wave or fourth wave or fifth wave or whatever wave we are of Beatles podcasters. Um, but it's so much fun to dive into all these shows that are approaching the Beatles story uh, from so many different angles. Um, one of our favorites is All About the Girl, which is a podcast that looks at all the women of the Beatles story, how they contributed to the story, how they affected the story, um, how the story affected them. It's a super interesting look at a part of Beatles lore that hasn't gotten a ton of exploration over the years. Um, and it's part of the story that needs to be told. And uh, I'm super excited that our guests today are doing it. If you want to follow along with their brilliant podcast, it's called All About the Girl, and you can find it on anywhere you get a, uh, a podcast, any podcast provider of choice. Wherever you listen to us. Yeah. Wherever you listen to Rank the Beatles, you can find All About the Girl. Hit that little search magnifying glass. Mm -hmm. Look them up. Subscribe. Also on Twitter, Facebook, all the good spots. Yes. They're there. Links are in the uh, show notes, friends. We're trying to spread the word as best we can, trying to spread the love of Beatles podcast land. So, without any further ado, let's jump into it, shall we? Please welcome to our show the hosts of All About the Girl, Chloe and Daisy. My story, all about the girl, girl, Chloe and Daisy, welcome to Ranking the Beatles. How are you today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Great, thanks. Excellent. So glad to see you. So glad to finally meet uh, you two in person. We're super excited. We both uh, have been listening to your show for I, I hesitate to say from the beginning because that makes me sound like elitist and like I've been there from the beginning. <laughs> but I think we've been listening because when did you when did y'all start the show? Oh, about six months ago, maybe yeah. a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, this year. Yeah. So I... from the beginning, it's not a huge crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I think y'all are kind of part of I guess what. Um, Sam from uh, Paul or Nothing calls like the the fourth wave of Beatles podcasters, or maybe we're third wave. I forget. Uh, like all these like pod podcasts that kind of have started over the last uh, year during the pandemic. Um, so glad to be on the team with y'all. <laughs> but um, before we before we Super get started, glad to have more women on the team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you know, I, I guess you know how did. Let, let's get kind of the backstory. Um, you know, y'all's show was absolutely fantastic. What spurred on this idea for All About the Girl for you two? Well, for me, it was that I was spending a huge amount of my time, like, typing out essays about Yoko Ono, and I was like, hmm, I could speak these. <laughs> and, uh, it would be much easier, much quicker. Um, and I'm sending voice notes to Daisy that are, like, six minutes long, and it's like, I realized I was like, I could do ten of these and put them on Spotify. People might like it. Um no, we love podcasts and stuff, but, I, you know, I went looking for this podcast because I'm fascinated by the women involved with the Beatles, and then I couldn't really find anything like it. And I was like, right, okay, let's, like, be the change you want to see in the world or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and Daisy and I chatted enough anyway that I was like, let's do it. But when we started, we had no idea that it, like, you know, we expected it to be for, like, 
the guy who runs the Teetle Zine and maybe one of our other friends. <laughs> <laughs> we would go and get like a pity listen and it would just be a fun thing for us to do like a fun project. But it's like snowballed into something like brilliant. Like we've got a lot of opportunities off the back of it to talk to brilliant people and oh, do more you, research and stuff. Oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and to and to talk to other people all sorts of people. And also it's, you know, deepened our research and our appreciation as well. So when sure. I started I was like, I am an expert and then I started like, doing more reading. I was like, oh but I just think it's an underexplored thing. I always say, you know, people can tell you what shoes John Lennon was wearing on a day in nineteen sixty four, but like yoga having a kidnapped daughter is like a footnote occasionally and it's it's this mm-hmm. like crazy disconnect so i'm really glad that you know the amount of people have contacted us and said oh i never knew this yeah. that's like a nice feeling yeah and what do you, what do you feel and i guess I'll, I'll direct this one to to you daisy what do you feel you're finding like what, what are you learning through this that you know wasn't necessarily you know something you initially were were looking at are going for we're sort of focusing a lot more on not just the women like and their personal lives but like what they're doing and how they relate to stuff and then kind of the response that they get from that so for example our episode on olivia harrison about the romanian children campaign that she did you know i didn't know anything about that before we decided to research it and it really opened a lot of like doors for me to like learn more about her because she does have quite a private life. But this is a massive thing that she did. And again, even when researching future episodes, so like Mona Best, I've learned a lot more about her through research and stuff. And it's just, you know, really given me more of an insight into how important women were to the Beatles. Because I obviously always knew that, yeah, the Beatles a lot of the reason why they were so popular because it's because of young women mm-hmm. and their fans but then you know even before Beatlemania women were so central to sort of like the Beatles themselves and the formation of it like Mona was really their first promoter um, right. which is amazing and just I'm quite interested in learning what other people think too so the response we get we get to episodes and stuff when people sort of sometimes give us more information and stuff that we didn't know before it's fascinating I think mm-hmm and you came on a bit of a journey about Yoko as well, didn't you, Daisy, When you, from when we started to now? Yeah, so, I mean, before I even knew Chloe, so I've been a Beatles fan for, what, like, three, four years now, and I was always a bit, like, neutral on Yoko, a bit more, like, negative and positive, I guess, and I was always a bit like, oh, I like her art, but I don't like her as a person because she did this, that, and the other, and then I sort of, because that's a lot of the narrative that you see even among young fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met Chloe and she was like, what do you think of Yoko? And I was like, oh, you know, she, she's okay. And then Chloe was like, I'm going to educate you with these. <laughs> but even since we started the podcast, I'm learning new things all the time um, about her life and sort of like her inspiration for her work and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just amazing. And I'm really glad that my opinion on her has changed because it was so sculpted by what other people thought of her but now i've actually learned more about her actual life it's definitely helped me change my thoughts yeah i love it and i love the way that you all present your love of yoko it's not just like well we like her so if you don't like her you're an idiot it's like we love her because 
X, Y, Z, and also A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like, here are all these reasons why she's amazing, and, like, you should really get on board. And then if you don't, after all of this information, then you suck. But, like... <laughs> Maybe a little bit less. <laughs> but, like... We, we try to avoid saying it, but that's the point when we start just, like, muting people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? We'll oh, give sure. you the benefit of the doubt for, like, five tweets, and then with the sixth reply, if you're still saying the same thing, we're like... I have a busy life. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't <laughs> owe you my time on Twitter. Like, I'm tapping out. There's no hope here. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> well, and, and there was there was a point that, that you made in the in your most recent episode, the, the uh, Everybody Hates Yoko episode, um, where you were talking about, you know, people who are always, you know, sitting there saying, oh, she sucks. She can't sing. She can't do this. But the only song they've maybe ever heard is like kiss 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 like they know like they've heard like one song and all they know is like like the video of her screaming like and that's like they've never taken the time to actually like form an educated opinion on her art which is it encompasses so much more than just music as well and people forget about that because all they think about is just her screaming and they don't think of all the other like really amazing like conceptual pieces visual pieces that she's done over the years that are really fantastic that are like on display in museums throughout the world unassociated to her relationship with John. Like I think, you know, and people just gloss over that because of, you know, the, the tabloid, uh, she, weight she of her broke up the Beatles. Like, oh, get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to a virtual talk at Contemporary Calgary, which is like an art museum, and um, they were talking about how Yoko is like probably the first person to ever present text as art, right? So like her grapefruit, like her poems and stuff, she used to display those, and she's often dismissed because she wrote them in Japanese, and that's dismissed as pictorial, but actually that's text, you know, mm-hmm. and she's it's, it's sort of a racist dismissal of that. Um, but it was really interesting to watch that panel talk about, you know, her influence in art and how some of the stuff she did, you know, was truly groundbreaking and is like still incredible today. Things like cut piece and things like her haikus and stuff, you know. I think she tells a story like when she was at uh, college, she really struggled because every time she wrote a short story, it was too short. And every time she went to write a novel, it was a short story and stuff like that. <laughs> but that makes her like. <laughs> That makes her unusual, I think. You know, mm. she she's given a set of ingredients and she always turns out something totally different to what anyone else would turn out. And I think people don't engage with that. They just go, right, it's stupid. She wants me to mend a broken cup. <laughs> like, I could do that. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, you could smash a cup and you could put it next to some string, but you didn't. Right. You're <laughs> you not <know>? I love that. You could, but you didn't. But you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's sort of that's always sort of bothered me about the the critics that have never had the courage to create. Like and there there's a space for sort of the art of criticism and I understand that, but like I guess I'm more talking about sort of like the your keyboard warriors who just like sit on the internet and crap on everything and produce nothing for the world like just you know it's it's always bothered me and i'm just like you don't have to you could just not yeah you could just say i don't care for this thing and move on with your life for me that's what's weird like there is a lot of videos of her like solo singing and stuff on youtube and most of the comments are negative or there's like 
clips of her uploaded that are uploaded as Yoko Ono singing awfully or something like that. And it's mm. like, maybe I'm just a busy person, but I don't have enough time in my life to like <laughs> be like clipping and uploading things to YouTube that I don't like or watching videos that I don't like. Right? Like, I, and for me, and it's especially weird now because like she is quite elderly. She's not been seen in public for years. Mm-hmm. I don't, she didn't seem very well, sort of back end of 2018, and she's not been seen since then. Like, you know, is that not the time where you, like, lay off? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, give her a bit of peace. Like, like no, no, just I mean, dial it back, guys. Yeah. Because uh-huh. it, it's usually guys. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it's always. And, we, and, and I think it's, it's interesting that the, the Beatles, I think, create so much possessiveness among fans and there's such a pushback against anything that's perceived as like out of the norm or, or different. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, John coming up with this like strange Japanese artist or Paul with this kind of strange American woman who like doesn't shave her arms, like, (laughs) you know, like there's, but it, it almost seems like nine times out of 10, and maybe it's more nowadays than than it was in real time in the late 60s. But that possessiveness is always coming from men, which is so strange to, like, disapprove of, like, the partner of someone that is not even, like, your friend. You don't know this guy. Like, who are you to judge, like, who they choose to be with? Like, that's kind of odd. Like, it just creates a weird possessiveness that I've always found somewhat strange in its extreme extremities, you know? I think it's partially because a lot of the men, especially if they're English, they sort of see them departing from who they were in the early 60s, right? So mm-hmm. they sort of see the early 60s as, uh, John especially, a very macho man who was, like, witty and didn't care about upsetting people and stuff. And then he sort of became a bit more sensitive with Yoko and um, a lot more open about his feelings and sort of, like, a lot more avant-garde, obviously, and people see that and they go, oh my God, he's changed, he's so awful now, Um, which is where that male possessiveness comes from. And with Paul, he's like, they see him dating Linda, who, like, didn't shave, didn't wear much makeup, wore the clothes that she wanted, and I think it's them seeing themselves as Paul and being like, I wouldn't want a girlfriend who does that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot of projection, I think, which is also when people say, oh yeah, John Lennon was bisexual, and you get responses from men going like, no, he wasn't, stop it, this is like Yoko... (laughs) He was Um, just helping out his friend. Putting her own agenda on it. And it's like, he said it himself. Yeah. But it's because they don't want to say, say, oh, my hero is John Lennon. And then people go, oh, the bisexual man. Right. Why is your hero this? It's kind of all their own views on it, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't just think it's possessiveness. I think sometimes it's projection as well. Like... I don't. I think, especially in England, the the cultural perception of John Lennon is still that cheeky, bigger than Jesus thing. The bigger than Jesus thing is funny here. My dad used to tell me that story as a little girl, as like a joke, um, and also and lots of other like witticisms from John. And he is very much like the kind of man's man who thinks he is John Lennon. And I think there's a lot of men like that. Mm-hmm. So any like questions about his sexuality or like his vulnerability like men sort of react like are you calling me vulnerable you're calling me gay and no it's not you (laughs) but like you know it disrupts that projection for them like it's a bit of a power fantasy to be like up on this pedestal and creating this great stuff i mean look at yesterday yesterday is like imagine how ace it would be to like write all the beatles songs and have everybody love you and Mm. that sort of stuff but i think definitely 
the sort of peace like saint john that's not really a, as big a thing in england i don't think it's more the the, the tongue-in-cheek nature of him like the cheekiness mm-hmm. and like daisy says it's almost like people seem to perceive that yoko made him more serious i don't think she did i think yoko's very very funny but i think that's the perception like that she she stole him away like the film Lennon Naked literally ends with like him getting on the plane and flying away to like sad music. So it's like everyone watching <laughs> on the BBC on the BBC is like, he left us. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a lot of it too, you know. I see that all the time. That it's Yoko's fault he's dead because if he'd never gone to America, it would have it would have been fine and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, he'd never would have died if Julia had never given birth to him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who are you gonna blame here? Like but that's a real thing like it's a possessiveness and it's like a need to have him to project onto as well mm-hmm. it's really interesting because i yeah, the way that you're kind of explaining it and it's something i hadn't really grasped or understood that the perception of them in england on a personal level is probably way different than it is in every other country like because here like it's very much like St. John the Peacenik, and you know, no, and then I mean, you get the occasional people. Oh well, he also was abusive, and blah 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 blah. blah. Um, but yeah, he's it, it, definitely like that image. That later image is like solidified of like kind of the sensitive, you know, peace-loving guy. And that's interesting that it's not so much what's remembered over there. I find that really interesting. Yeah, I think Chloe and I also have the insight because we're both from the North and we're both from quite working class areas and families. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, um, they a lot of Northern working class people, they see the Beatles as sort of kin because, you know, Liverpool, regardless of what you think of John's class status, is very complicated when it comes to like the UK and like areas and identity and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at least three out of four Beatles were quite working class. And, and you know, they made it. They made it out of Liverpool, which at the time was quite a poor city. And they made it to this international stardom, um, which is really, there's something so ingrained in any working class town. It's like, you want to make it, you want to get out of this town. And people look at the Beatles and go, they're like me. I, I can make it too if they can. So I guess on one level, it's an inspirational thing. On another level, it's sort of just this... Sort of, this want to this needs that a lot of british people have to get bigger and make it out of where they live Mm -hmm. but what's interesting is like and i think you find this in a lot of situations when people do make it and get out of whatever they're coming from you know like the beatles leave liverpool and go to london uh a lot of artists from new orleans have made it because they've left new orleans to go other places where it's more feasible and smart for them to operate out of and then they get kind of accused and chastised for leaving and selling out their roots and where they can, you've changed, you've moved to London, you've moved to New York, you've moved to LA, you know, you're not who you used to be. We don't know you anymore. So it's kind of, it's a really hard battle, I think, for someone to fight in that respect. Oh, definitely. I mean, I know that, sorry. I know that Ringo said a while ago that, you know, he's glad that he moved out of Liverpool to make it. And at the time in Liverpool, it was sort of like a hedge trimmed into the shape of the Beatles. <laughs> and someone got so mad that they chopped like the Ringo's head off <laughs> because oh he was gosh. like, I'm glad I moved out of Liverpool. Right. I remember that was, I remember. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's interesting though that like the amount of money that Yoko has poured into like Liverpool projects and regeneration and stuff, like she's made sure to make sure that that's where the money gets directed you know like not not the sites they went to in london london need any money it's over like it's overflowing but um 
she's made re- real sure to ensure that stuff ends up being done there, which is nice. I mean, Liverpool's much like Liverpool's nice now, mm-hmm. like broadly, like better than it was. I mean, Liverpool's got a really spotty history. I'm not sure how much like uh, American people will know, but things like the Hillsborough disaster, where lots of football fans died in a crush, and it wasn't their fault at all. But Liverpool football fans were blamed by the press for that. Oh wow! Um, and John did like a uh, not John Paul did a, a cover of Ferry Cross the Mersey for like the victims and stuff. But that was a huge like cultural event here that these like working class football fans were blamed for like their own deaths and other people's deaths basically yeah. when it was uh, institutional errors. Um, and that's why one of the tabloids like it's not fought in Liverpool because mm-hmm. of that. But, you know, there's lots of, if you go to a football game, a lot of it is about, like, Liverpoolian, like, the chants are about, like, Liverpoolians eating, like, like um, roadkill and stuff like that, you know. It is, there is this, like, perception about scousers, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, but then with that comes a real pride, you know. Right. Like, the more you bask, the more prideful you are mm-hmm. um, about it, which is good. But John is, like, one of theirs. And that's why there was such anger about Ringo, because it's like, how can you betray us by saying you, you wouldn't want to live here now? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, you think, can, I think you can really see, like, it. both sides of it. Like, you you know that he didn't mean that he hates Liverpool, but it's <laughs> such an affront to the people that are still there that feel like they've been there and they've, you know, supported the city and, they you know, that's their home. And to, to hear someone, like, to interpret that as, like, knocking it is hard to hear. You know, but I think he meant it as like, there's such a big world out there. Like, I'm so glad I got to experience so much of it and see so much of it and, you know, live this amazing life that most people didn't get to live. But that is hard to hear as someone who never got out. Yeah. So. And the Beatles, the Beatles feel so close for us, too. You know, my Nana saw them in 64. Uh, my auntie was like she was part of the St. John's Ambulance so she was like one of the first aid people for one of their gigs like there's lots of stuff like that you know they sort of have touched a lot of relatives still living Mm -hmm. I mean my nana like I said she saw them in 64 and then she tells this story like the day that John died she and all the girls in her office just cried on their break like cried and cried because even though they were you know in their 30s at that time but there, there is that proximity, I suppose. You sort of feel like, you know, they were here. Like, it's not like they were here 100 years ago. They were here at, like, the time that my nana would have been here. Like. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah, sorry. No, but that creates the possessiveness, too, because, like, they're almost in your reach, and then you can't quite get it. And that's what it is, I think. Yeah. And the things about like Liverpool, the Beatles being there, so much of Liverpool still looks the same that you can totally imagine them sort of walking down certain streets mm-hmm. or taking certain bus routes. Because, yeah, there are new buildings and stuff and it doesn't look exactly the same. But at its core, a lot of Liverpool hasn't changed. Um, the buildings do look the same. You can, I think people have done pictures where they've held up pictures of the Beatles in Liverpool and like put them over Liverpool now, and it's barely changed. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing to see that because you really can imagine, you know, walking home and just seeing, you know, the Beatles there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's back up a little bit. I'm curious because I know Daisy, you were saying you just become a fan in the last, you know, three or four years. How did the two of you discover the Beatles? How did the Beatles enter your lives? So I think. 
most British people know of the Beatles because in primary school, so when your age is what, like four to eleven, you sing Yellow Submarine mm-hmm. and other songs sometimes, and everyone knows Hey Jude. Um, it's just one of those football songs that people you sing it commonly because it's a catchy song. But for me, you know, I discovered the Beatles because at the time my ex was like, the Beatles are a men's band, women can't like them. So I, out of spite, was like, I'm going to listen to the Beatles. And then I accidentally got really into them and was like, oh no, I'm going to move to Liverpool. I'm totally obsessed. <laughs> That's great. Um, my dad was a big Beatles fan. No, I don't have a great relationship with my dad. Sorry, dad, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, for me as well, we used to watch the music channels like on television, like the music video channels constantly. And there was very little Beatles in that, but there was a lot of Solo John. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I saw the Imagine video like probably like every other day as a child. Um, but little me could not comprehend that he was in the Beatles, but this wasn't the Beatles. So I thought that this was also the Beatles. Uh, so I thought that Yoko was like the girl one. I thought she was like Smurfette, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and because I used to say like, who's she? She's so beautiful. <laughs> My dad would be like, she's his wife. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> But so I was always more into like Solo John. And then it was only a few years ago that I watched yesterday because I won it free with, I, I bought a bar of chocolate and then I won a DVD and I was like, this is all right. <laughs> um, and I went home and watched it and it made me really angry. And I was like, okay, maybe I care more about this band than I thought I cared. Because <laughs> I was like, they're getting the Beatles wrong. It's not why they were famous. <laughs> so I went back and like listened to everything. And I was like, this is incredible. And then Daisy and I met in like an online forum. Mm-hmm. And then it all snowballed from there, really. I love it. That's like the most uh, modern day telling of falling into Beatles fandom I think I've ever heard yeah <laughs> like, I love that it's not like you know oh you know my my dad bought me the red and blue albums when I was you know 12 you know and, and one of those kind of like more typical stories but I love that that's awesome yeah so fun. I love it for me I don't have that family connection to the Beatles because my grandparents uh well, my granddad was the same age as Yoko Ono, and my grandma's only a couple of years younger than him, so they're about 10 years too old for the Beatles, mm-hmm. and they were having children from 1961 to 1969. <laughs> so not, not, you know, my mum, nor any of her siblings, nor my dad have any connection to the Beatles, and as they were growing up, my dad hated the Beatles because he was more into punk music, so for him, mm-hmm. the Beatles were like the system. Um, <laughs> so I kind of am, as weird as it is to say in 2021, I'm sort of a first-generation Beatles fan in my family right. because I got into them and was like, oh, Mum, do you like the Beatles? And she's like, no, they annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> my so my nana is the same age as Paul, uh, and she, she was always a John girl. She's always talking about how naughty John is and how much she liked him and stuff. And she's got no time for Paul at all. I love it so much. <laughs> she's like, well, back in the day, I thought he was too pretty and he's not aged well. And it's like, okay, Nana, I'll be sure to let him know. Wow. is <laughs> savage. Like, it's like, I'm sure he'll be devastated that he's not got a chance with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm being honest, I think he looks better now than he did 15, 20 years ago. Oh, for sure. Well. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we were researching for the Heather episode, looking at some of the pictures like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. that's not a good look. Oh, when he went like all <laughs> short hair 
Like very like Yeah, it was that and hair. it was like the weird like fashion. It was proper like granddad on holiday fashion. Right. Which <laughs> yeah. you know, has its time, but when you're with like this beautiful model, it's like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> there were some choices. <laughs> yeah, there there always it, have been. <laughs> gleaming white trainers and like tan trousers, you know, it's never a great combo. But I think like he's really like picked up the style game. I mean, I guess it helps that you know one of your daughters is a a, a fashion designer you know right. that probably doesn't hurt they i'm sure they advise him you know and he he might also have someone on the payroll that's a stylist who knows but i think lately he's looked great like and it's not he's not trying too hard i think it's it's like very i hate to use this term because it's so gross but it's like age appropriate cool like he's not because you know how like uh like mike love do you know like mike love will wear these like yeah. weird paisley shirts and lots of rings and he's like trying hard to be cool and you're like no just stop please don't it's very creepy but paul was like no i'll just have like some nice sneakers like a, a decent like some cool jeans that are cut nicely like a white button down and done and he looks amazing no. like there's, he looks great. Yeah, like, and it, it, slightly longer hair is really suits him and stuff. You know, yes. he does look good. I think Ringo looks incredible. I don't know who's yeah. like blood he is bathing in, but like, <laughs> 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 he just looks like he's aging backwards. It's mm -hmm. insane. Yeah. I mean, there's a meme going around right now, and it's like I'm so. It's a picture of the Rolling Stones, like a really recent one, and it's just got the caption. I'm glad that one member of the Rolling Stones dresses like a normal seventy-something. Yeah. <laughs> true it just made me laugh but no paul's fashion is definitely a lot better i mean for any shoots and stuff he looks amazing and then when you see stuff like paparazzi shots most of the time he looks okay but sometimes when he's on holiday he's got this pair of like american flag birkenstock i saw those that that was they make me laugh so much because it's like he has, i can just imagine stella being like you're not wearing them and he's like i'm on holiday i am wearing the birkenstocks they're probably incredibly comfortable and at 80 years yeah. old you start to appreciate like comfort and support like probably more so listen i'm half that right. and i'm like forget fashion i'm over it these white what new balances are really comfortable <laughs> Chloe and I have um, matching Crocs, and we wear yes. them so much. That's awesome. I mean, I miss Yoko and her diamante velour tracksuits that were unzipped enough to show her cleavage oh, yeah. and her fedora. <laughs> it was like, yes. you go, girl, I eighty-five like, years old. She kept it <laughs> like, like she kept it like kind of saucy for like the like <laughs> up until you know she disappeared a few years ago. Like, like you said, she had the little the tracksuit that was unzipped a little bit and. Even when you look back, you know, in the 60s, she wore, like, the shortest skirts you ever saw. It's like, <laughs> go, girl, get it. <laughs> well, there's a quote that she said, like, she was ashamed of her legs because she just thought they were kind of dumpy looking. And John was like, you have beautiful legs. And so she, like, ran with that. And she was like, but I shall wear leather hot pants for the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And I respect that. That's so funny. We had that exact same conversation yesterday. Like, I never wear shorts, and it's so hot here because we are just in the just the depth of summer. And I was like, man, I'm just going to wear some shorts. I was like, I hate my legs, though. They're so dumpy. And he's like, I love your legs. <laughs> oh, we're just like John and Yoko. Just like them in every way. We're the podcast version of John and Yoko. <laughs> 
Daisy is too supportive of a girlfriend, though. I feel like I could come out in, like, a bin bag that I've, like, put armholes in, and she'd be like, you look beautiful, let's go! That's good, though, because, like... I dress like someone that shops at a farmer's market and gives their child, like, sesames as snacks. And all my friends make a joke about it because they're like, Daisy, I'm not letting my children at your house in the future because you will load them up with, like, weird snacks. So I'm like, hey, they taste good! Look, a Werther's original is delightful for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well... You know, I always feel like, like, my outlook on fashion is, like, do you feel good yes. in this? Great. Yeah. Yes. wear it like how does it like we took we have a a teenage niece and she needed new clothes like we th- we went to go visit obviously pre-pandemic it was a couple years ago and she needed like new school clothes for the year because we went up in the summer and I was like well I'll take you shopping and so she's like picking out all this stuff and it's not my style it's not what I would pick out but she's a completely different person from me and she would try something on and she's like how do you think it looks and I was like how do you feel in it do you feel pretty do you feel good do you feel confident like do you feel good in this and she's like yes and I was like then we're buying it put it on the counter you know I'm like it doesn't matter what I think it's how you feel in it like wear your thing Exactly. Have you seen Yoko's fashion line? Have you seen the fashion line for men she brought out? No. No. When was so that? So she she brought out this fashion line for men a few years ago that was inspired by sketches she did for John on their honeymoon about the clothes that she wanted to see him in. And it's like mesh tops with like nipple holes. It's like assless pants. There's like um there's like a big necklace that's got a bell on it and it says ring for your mommy on it. And stuff like that. And it's like, wow, this is too much info, Yoko. I love it. I think it's, it's like part of how she became this like queer icon, I guess, because it's like the gayest fashion line you've ever seen. But the fact that she was like, I drew these for John and he said he would wear them if I ever made them. <laughs> it's like, imagine if he'd live and then he's like wearing these like nippleless outfit. And like, so, Picture like 45 year old John. I'll have to send you some pictures because it's like, Please. it's brilliant. <laughs> it's like tops and like um, jeans have got like handprints on like the chest and the crotch and everything it's like crazy that's awesome <laughs> i'm trying to picture like a mid-40s john or any other mid-40s beetle in like a mesh shirt with nipple holes like yeah. picture like picture like george in 1987 with a mesh shirt with his nipples out <laughs> so funny oh my we've God. taken a weird turn do you think he cracked a smile at that oh he, he would he, <laughs> probably <laughs> oh my goodness just wearing it with like a very sour face just like <laughs> he shows up to the traveling Wilburys sessions with his nipples out <laughs> Bob Dylan just doesn't get it <laughs> oh my goodness where have we gone <laughs> well why don't we <laughs> why don't we talk about this week's song shall we are we good mm-hmm. everybody ready All right, friends, coming in this week at number 160 is I'm Happy Just to Dance with You. Before this dance is through, I think I love you too. I'm so happy when you dance with me. I don't want to kiss or hold your hand. If it's funny, try and understand. There is really nothing else I'd rather do. Cause I'm happy just to dance with you I don't need to hug or hold you tight I just want to dance with you all night In this world there's nothing I would rather do 
Cause I'm happy just to dance with you Just to dance with you Is everything I need Before this dance is through I think I love you too I'm so happy when you dance with me After including George Harrison's first self-composed song, Don't Bother Me, on their previous album, George and the Beatles found themselves in the position of needing another new song for their third album and debut film. At this point in time, George is still very much a fledgling songwriter, taking a long time to finish crafting his own songs. He also admitted around this time that he was prone to being quite lazy in the songwriting department. Uh, He'd been working on a song called You Know What To Do around this time, but that song seems to have never gotten much further than the demo process. So thankfully, George was in a band with two of the best songwriters in the world in 1964, who were able to sit down and put their heads together to pump out a new song for George to sing in the film, and thus I'm Happy Just to Dance With You was born. For this track, John and Paul returned to the well of writing songs with subjective pronouns, you being something that allowed their fan base to feel they were being, that they were being sung to. Uh, and this is something they prided themselves on in early songs, but it certainly moved away from by this time. Uh, but for something they considered somewhat of a formula song, they revert to this method and come up with a pretty great up-tempo song. So they record the song March 1st, 1964, in the first hour of a three-and-a-half-hour recording session that was needed to finish recording songs for possible inclusion in the film. Also recorded this day were Long Tall Sally and I Call Your Name, which were both held out of the film for use later in the year. Uh, so needing only four takes to capture a backing track, the band then overdubbed vocals and percussion, finishing the song in just about an hour. Uh, the song was featured as George's vocal spotlight in the film A Hard Day's Night, was released in the U.S. in June of 64 on the United Artist Film soundtrack, then featured again a month later on the Capitol Records album Something New, while getting its release everywhere else in the world on the A Hard Day's Night album July 10th of 64. Uh, the band did perform it live on tour during a brief October-November British tour and also did a BBC session for it in July of 1964 as well. So, why do I have I'm Happy Just to Dance with You at 164? So, I don't care if John or Paul call this a formula song or a work song. I've always really loved this track. Uh, minor keys and dissonant tones kind of lend themselves to George songs, and I, th- I love that this track starts out with this great kind of clangy rhythm guitar. It's a bit disjointing at first, but I really like how it pulls your attention in. Um, I think George does a great job on the vocal here. It's kind of a dry delivery, but I think it kind of lends, its, lends to the charm of the song. Uh, musically, I think it's a great bit of work. John often talks about how, th- as a rhythm guitarist, he could really drive a band, and I think this is a great example. Uh, his guitar part really moves the whole song with the pattern he does throughout that kind of like that's kind of the rhythm of the song. And when his pattern is more frantic, it kind of adds to the feeling of adrenaline you get from dancing with somebody that you're falling in love with and being in that headspace of just focusing on that moment. Then when he pulls back in the chorus and just hits like kind of the whole notes on just to dance with you. Uh, that kind of that change lets the that part really open up and have more space, which I think makes it a bit more euphoric of a feeling. Um, I think Paul does a fantastic job with these great little bass runs in the chorus, finding these little moments where he can really put his stamp on the song. And I think he and John's backing vocals, of course, are spot on. Um, it is interesting that for this film song, they go to an interaction that's maybe even more innocent than the concept of I want to hold your hand. It even goes as far as saying he doesn't want to hold your hand. Just dancing can make him fall in love. And in some ways, that's almost presenting the band as less of a threat to parents because dancing can still be seen as relatively harmless. Uh, It's almost like they're taking the opportunity to show parents, look, 
we're just harmless and fun, nothing bad to see here. Um, so while it may not be a major track in their career, I do think it's a really fun song. Captures the energy and vibe of that 1964 Beatlemania excitement, like in the context of an album track. Uh, and it works really well in giving George, I think, a fun moment in the film uh, to have the spotlight. So my two cents. Uh, I throw it over to y'all. What do you think? I think it's really interesting what you say about parents, not it not being a threat to parents. I've never really considered that. I've considered it as a former teenage girl. It kind of reminds me of like like that like Twilight appeal, like mm-hmm. this like non-threatening male, you know, that like he just wants to dance with you and like be with you, but he's not going to try anything else. And like for a teenage girl, that's like the ideal thing to swoon over, like someone who wants to like fall in love with you, but like is not going to be like in, in intimidation or a threat in any kind of way. So I've I've always found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it's always, I, I just love the scene in A Hard Day's Night too. It's like so joyful and, and sort of surreal as well. But for me, it really captures that film because it's one of those like scenes where when I listen to the song, I can sort of see the whole scene like playing out in my head. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very sweet song, I think. It is quite formulaic with just, you know, something gentle and nice. But that, like you said, you know, it's parents like it as, you know, a teenage girl. It is a dream, you know, a man who's not going to pressure you for anything. He just wants to dance right. and fall in love with you. And it is sweet and gentle. And it does, you know, it appeals well to their fans. Because by that point, I think, you know, they knew their fan base was mostly teen girls. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew what they wanted, I guess. As you, as you see in earlier songs, and especially here, it's just sort of nice, friendly, sort of like happiness um and yeah it is the scene in the film it is something you can totally picture when you just listen to it yeah for sure i think the you is interesting too like the you is very i was reading something that daisy sent me earlier that was from a book an academic book called the queer 60s and it was about how queer hard days night is actually because it's like this like womanless film almost there are women in it but you know, they're not characters, are they? They're, like, screaming girls or, like, giggling schoolgirls. Like, they're not real. Mm-hmm. And therefore, mm-hmm. like, A Hard Day's Night ex- exists in, like, like, real, surreal, like, liminal space that's just man, 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 man. That's, like, one song that's, like, addressing out at the audience. But the rest of the film is this, like, weird male-on-male bubble. And I think that's what a lot of Beatles fans are attached to, like, this bubble... So, which is why people get issues with women later yeah. on, because like women turn up with like their their desires and their feelings and their complications, and it ruins this like beautiful, like fun, simple little like space that they had. Wow! And that's... so this song is interesting because it's like an addressal, but again, it's coming from this like weird space. It's like, and they don't even want to leave that space. It's not that they even want to touch the person. They just want to say, you know, you can dance with us, but not be close enough to touch or become involved. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I never considered the lack of presence of women in that film, but you're right. I can't think of any real dialogue from a woman aside from the bit that John has in the hallway with that one, with that woman. And even then, it's just a passing kind of gag where he kind of takes you know the moment out of it. That's really interesting. I never thought about that. Really yeah, smart. and also mentioned in that same article, when they're on the train with um, Patty Boyd and the other girl, you know, 
yes, Paul's quite sort of romantic to them, but there's also that sort of Paul's granddad keeps being like, oh, they're my prisoners. You won't guess what they're in for. And it kind of goes into that and sort of the mystery around it. Mm-hmm. This sort of like, they're sort of threatening, but it's not in a romantic way. And the person who wrote this, um, Anne Schillingshaw, I think, she goes into like really delve into a lot of these lines like that and um, yeah. all the in jokes and stuff. And just how, you know, when you look at them through a certain lens, um, especially them being prisoners, obviously at the time homosexuality was still a criminal offence in England and, well, the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, when you look at it through that lens, it, you totally can see where this queer theory comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chilling Lord talks about the link between the whole give us a kiss moment and like they're being outside the train. It's like this link between like this male, male like teasing and like surreal sort of Alice in Wonderland vibes almost like because they're outside the train but they're keeping up with the train and you know it's all a bit weird but the whole thing's kind of topsy-turvy but women don't like it's a perfect balance it's like womanless mm-hmm. like women are there to sort of be joked at or to be ran away from or you know even Paul's granddad is like nursing a broken heart like women are either like a threat or absent <laughs> and um so it's this like fascinating film because for us like we come through the fandom as well where there's a lot of like gay fan fiction and stuff and you feel like a hard day's night is like the pinnacle of a lot of that it's this like film that's like entirely male entirely fun and you can sort of play in that sandpit and that's why some of the fallouts in fandom come i think when you go actually there's this whole world and they're like but i'm happy in this sandpit (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think I'm happy just to dance with you again. It's like it's an oddly it's an odd romantic song, but it has this real distance, and it doesn't affect you know the the um the, what's going on the, like the vibe of that film, which mm-hmm. I've always mm-hmm. read as like weirdly queer. Because I mean, when you're LGBT yourself, when you watch it, like things like the give us a kiss and oh uh, I'll tell them the truth, and Lennon's like you wouldn't, you right. know, and things like that, right. like you read them slightly differently but for me the lack of women is pretty obvious because even like the whole patty character like she doesn't make sense like she's scared and then she's she's like having fun and then she's gone (laughs) it's like (laughs) it doesn't you know that they're not real or realized and sometimes i wonder if people look through that lens at the whole story and then they have difficulty imagining women as realized people because they're used to them being like a bit parts or jokes and as soon as women have like baggage it's like well the Beatles didn't deal with women like that because in these movies you know they were either like funny or they were being wooed or something like that they were certainly not characters in their own right and I think John was like the one who pointed out like people think the hard day's night is how the Beatles actually were and he was quite resentful about it in 71 saying like this guy spent one day with me and he thinks he knows who I am and now everyone thinks that's who, how I am and things and Yoko's next to him like patting his leg like calm down <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting I think because I really love the song but it is this like strange like synthetic thing that's like outward facing but not that inviting actually yeah it's not i'll dance with you and then we'll get married it's a you can like come on this ride with me for a little bit 
Interesting. Mm. Wow. And, and, and real quick before I toss it over to you, You're fine. Uh, it does make me think a little more about in Help, you have a very much a prominent female character with Eleanor Braun, who, if I'm mm -hmm. remembering correctly, tends to be kind of the one that's like saving their asses throughout the film, uh, even though it's always like from afar or like behind some illusion. Uh, so you kind of, <laughs> they really flip the script on that idea in the second yeah. one, which is interesting to think about. I, I think one of my favorites, there's like an audio recording of um, John and Sean in the Dakota in like the late seventies. And he's drawn a picture of Yoko and John and, it, and like the Beatles. And he says, oh, it's you and mommy in that film where you're having to get the ring off of uh, Ringo. <laughs> and so like Sean's obviously watched this film and he's like, oh, it's a lady with my daddy, like with long hair, it must be my mommy. Right. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> and funny. I've always found that like fascinating, mm -hmm. you know, that there were so few women that even baby Sean's like, there's a lady with my daddy, it must be my mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild, man. How do you feel on this one, Julia? Um, you know, I know you mentioned the sort of dry delivery of George in the song, and I think it actually like goes really well with the song. Like, I I think it sort of lends itself to the sort of innocence and the sweetness of the song. Um, like he's not trying to be like Mr. Suave crooner guy. He almost you know? sounds a little nervous. Yeah, like a, a little nervous. Like and and it's sort of. Um, I try not to relate songs to other songs on their albums, but it, it, I know it comes right after If I Fell, and I get the same sort of feeling from that song. It's like a little trepidation, a little nervous, like that you know new person new love like you don't you're not pushing too hard you know you you sort of like haven't gotten to like the the lust phase yet you know it's like i'm happy just to dance with you like i i, I don't need to go any further like i just i'm really enjoying this like new butterflies and excitement and you know whirling around on the dance floor and i'm scared and you might be scared but i don't know like it just i don't know i get that sort of little sweet feeling of new baby love <laughs> but you know like youth <laughs> and george um, was handsome in a hard day's night you know yeah. he really was like he was the quiet handsome one mm. he's the one that if you were like the slightly different member of the friend group you'd be like but i love him right. yeah <laughs> and i think and I think there was probably a lot of girls in the 60s who, like, loved this song because they were like, he's singing to me because he's my one. He's so sensitive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, and there's something to be said for being the, the, the person in a group who's not, like, the center of attention. Look at me, look at me, look at me, uh -huh. uh, which, you know, John and Paul both can be. And then Ringo is kind of the focal point in a lot of it just in terms of, like, the storyline. And so for a lot of it, George is just kind of the background guy. Uh, and when he does get his scene, you know, w with the uh, with the the clothing designer guy, I can't remember his character's name. Uh, but when he does actually have his moment, he's just he's so charismatic and cool about it, but not in like an affected cool. It's just like it's this natural, really kind of calm demeanor that just works so well that like it makes you go like, well, maybe he's the guy like I want to be as a teenage guy. I'm like. Well, he's actually really cool. Maybe I want to be more like that than the obnoxious guy. Like, so. 
Just my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, to this day, if someone asks me how, like, what someone's like and I don't like them, I'll be like, they're a drag, a well-known drag, you know? Like, <laughs> so, like, like well that played. scene is, like, so memorable and brilliant. And I think, you know, I liked, when I was a little girl, I liked Duran Duran a lot because of my mum. And my mum would always say that, like, in her friendship group, girls would go after, like, the less likely one because there's this feeling that you have, like, that you have more of a chance with them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mum, you didn't have a chance with any members of Duran Duran. <laughs> <He's> like... <laughs> and she's like, no, but I, I lowballed. I was going to go if I met them. <laughs> I wouldn't have a chance with the singer, but maybe the bassist. <laughs> I'm going to hedge my bets on the six <laughs> instead of the, the ten. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> the song for me rings true to what George was sort of like um, when he was a lot younger, pre-Hamburg, because the story about him and his first proper girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, Iris Cladwell, I think, and all they used to do was watch TV with Louise, George's mom in the room, and they wouldn't even hold hands because George was too nervous. Uh, <laughs> like, all they do is just sit together watching TV, and it's sweet. And I think because George was the youngest, he can be given this sort of role that a song gives him of just this sweet sort of, like, you don't suspect him, he's not the centre of attention, and he's, like, just a bit different. Mm. And you still see it today. He was the sensitive beetle. He was so spiritual and gentle. And it's, you know, I think it does ring slightly true for him. But then as you learn more about later, George, you're also like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Once you read past that, you're like, oh, wow. He was also quite What I love about person. this song, too, is that, like, John used to whip it out as, like, proof that he did love George. Like, whenever George would be like, oh, he, you know, he didn't trust in my songwriting abilities. Like, John in, like, several interviews were like, I wrote this song for you. <laughs> Like, but then in the same like, breath, he's like, "But I wouldn't have sang it myself." It's like exactly. Like, what's wrong with like, it? Blowing, blowing like hot and cold. But he was like, "I wrote it specifically for George because I liked his voice." But it's a rubbish song. Uh. It's like, <laughs> what are you trying to do here? Um, it's like all the songs but, he gave to Ringo in later years. Yeah. Um, he was like, "Oh, I've written this song. I really like it, but I'm not going to sing it. You can have it, Ringo." <laughs> Oh, goodness. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like I cut you off, Julia. No. Had you gotten everything out? I feel like that, I, Yeah, that was really I like my on read on it. Yeah. You're fine. <laughs> Sorry. That was she gave reason. us the image of like little baby George being like, which is sweet, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a small George, not like Just, a baby, but right. like a very small George. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what I was going for. You yes. nailed it. Thanks so much for summing that up. <laughs> child child prodigy i um i really want to read uh that book y'all were talking about though because that's a really fascinating take on that film that i hadn't considered because i think also you know growing up as a as a teenage boy you know maybe i don't know what it's like now because i'm you know not a teenage boy but uh there's definitely like a culture of like plain like i don't want to say faux gay because that's not it but like you know patting your friend on the butt just as like a knowing <laughs> wink you know um you know and i think you know for me seeing that kind of uh humor in beetledom like never made i never i never caught it like i never caught like are they is that like a are they being like subtly like coy about making like gay jokes i never quite thought i caught that 
so I, I'm now I'm like, I want to read that because that's a really interesting take on that film. Like, that just, I never considered. I love that story about when they met, like, the queer beat poet, like, Royston Ellis, and he told them that one in four men was gay, and they were like, crap, is it me? (laughs) 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 I think it's, like, Paul who goes, it's not me, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, do I have something in my teeth? Is it me? (laughs) Oh, my goodness, it's great. Is Is it a book, or was it an article? It was an essay in, like, an academic text, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Send me the link on that if you can, if you have it handy. I would love to read that. Yeah, I will. But also, I think the teen boy culture differs from, like, area to area. Even in the UK, like, teen boys up here are very different to, like, teen boys in different, you know, more well-off areas. Sure. But I think for the Beatles, obviously, this is, you know, years and years ago. But John and Brian especially, you see a lot when people try and, like, cancel John. Like, John was a homophobe because he said these things to brian but then you know when you read brian's um autobiography he says john makes these jokes like at my expense obviously not saying like gay jokes like jokes at the expense of my religion but like i can tell him to stop if it gets too far and i think a lot of people sort of like who don't really know much about brian um but know you know enough to know that brian was gay kind of see him as like this victim of Mm -hmm. john's like jokes Whereas actually, you know, on frequent occasions when John was messing about, like, I'm pretty sure there's this, I can't remember when it was, but John was like, I don't want to go on stage. And Brian, like, essentially, like, grabbed him by the shoulders and was like, you're going on stage. You know, he was <laughs> army trained. Brian was quite a strong man, physically and emotionally, you know. Right. People tend to see Brian as sort of a victim of all of this. Whereas actually, you know, when John's jokes could go too far, he would be like, stop. And John would. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think their relationship think... is so interesting, and there's so many layers to it that, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever get truly explored because both of them are gone, um, and the parties that were there have chosen to let it lie as it is. Um, but I've always found their relationship, um, I I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's complex, but it's it's it's... It's is heartening a word like not disheartening, mm-hmm. but it's heartening. Like, I feel like they were great for each other in that they both filled roles that the other was was missing. Um, and I think that there were complexities that they were working through um, that I think had Brian lived. Um, I think their relationship would have continued on for a long time. And, you know, in some form or another, you know, whether just personally or professionally, um, I think they were very good for each other as people as you know yeah as have you seen the hours and times the Mm-mm. film um, it's I have so not. good uh, but like that that's about the barcelona holiday and it really it's interesting you say that because it ends with them agreeing to go on another holiday in 10 years time no matter what either of them is doing in 1974 they have to go on another holiday uh, and it's like interesting that that filmmaker's picked up exactly on what you have that that, that relationship would not be like severed by anything yeah and i think that film's perfect at getting the, the teasing like 
you give John enough of an edge and enough darkness, but not so much that you're like, why is he spending time with this guy? Right. <laughs> um, so it's like, it walks this brilliant line. And I hope Midas Man, like the new film, manages to do something similar. But it's difficult, isn't it? Because if you lean too far one way, you have a hopelessly in love Brian who's like constantly at John's beck and call. If you lean too far the other way, you have a very predatory controlling Brian who, like, and it it's, it's, difficult to like walk that line i think for sure for sure and i think it's also interesting that and I, I may this may be incorrect but i think brian may be one of the few people in their story that was in a position that he was in that john never really blasted in the press publicly uh, after the beatles broke up like he was quick to tear everyone apart for like the smallest infraction um but it was always like a passing thing about Brian that I think he just never wanted to go down that road in conversation, um, which I think lends more credence to the idea that like he was really connected to him in, in some way, you know, that the two of them had yeah. a real deep connection. Yeah, was... I think so for sure. Sorry. No, go. I think so for sure. I mean, I know that in later interviews, sometimes he sounds a bit resentful to Brian and sort of like his decisions. And I think that's partially, A, he was very tired of Beatlemania. And for John, you know, Brian was so tied up with Beatlemania and their popularity. And B, like, obviously Brian died quite suddenly. And for John, you know, he has such a bad history with, like, you know, his mom, his uncle yeah. George, Stuart, and then Brian. It's just so much for him that he, he kind of fell into that the same way he sort of fell into it with his mom a bit. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I, I think as well, like... It was really interesting. He was obviously devastated by um, his death. And there was a, I was watching Antiques Roadshow a few, a few months ago, and there was a girl who had written to John in 1967 as like a teenager. And she'd, her friend had moved away and she was having a hard time and everything. And she wrote to him not thinking she'd get a reply. And like a few days after Brian died, he'd written this long reply to her where he'd said, like, I'm really sorry about your friend. Like, friendship is hard and stuff like this. But, like, it was this lovely, like, long... And the presenter was speculating, as was the girl who would, like... She was an old lady now, but she's, like, clinging to this letter. And she was saying, you know, was he thinking about Brian when he wrote this, like, letter about friendship to this random girl? Wow. And um, I also think it's interesting that, like, Brian's death and his, the beginning of his relationship with Yoko are, like, the same time really right, like it, sure. you know he needs another person to guide him i suppose you could unfairly say keeper but like he certainly needs somebody to like steer him otherwise he will just end up lost yeah, like for sure wow Man. yeah i think that's like a lot of creative people though like you sort of need that balance of someone to keep you a bit grounded and it's not necessarily like someone keeping you but it's just someone like sort of holding your hand and just like, maybe guidance maybe maybe guidance is better than keeper you know like just someone to just kind of keep your feet on the ground and like sometimes talk through decisions and you know with like a different perspective you know I mean I know I'm sort of that a bit to you like mm -hmm. you're a bit more head in the clouds than I am and I'm a bit more grounded than you right. are but it works well for us like when I need to just like chill out and like have some fun he's like hey we're gonna go <laughs> let's be spontaneous let's go do this fun thing and I'm like okay yeah but can I prepare for it really quick like can I make it to do this <laughs> well I, I think I think it's kind of like a 
an issue of like a support system. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think creative people need maybe a bit more of that um, for whatever reason, you know, our brains are wired, however they are. Um, yeah. I, 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 mean, I think yeah. all four of them needed, needed in a extended more, uh, you know, stronger support system than, you know, average people. Maybe. I don't know. I think John turned that dynamic up to 11 though. Like he was probably fueled by some form of mental illness or something like that. But I mean, Yoko tells this story about like in the late 70s in the, in 1980, he used to cry and beg her never to die, right? And she used to be like, well, I'm much older than you, so I probably will. <laughs> um, and he used to tell people that he was going to have her cremated and then he was going to drink her ashes so that she could never be so that she could never be apart from him and things like that and it's like that's not how she tells the story the body, like it's yeah. really sweet and you read it like oh god <laughs> like, <laughs> but and it, that's the thing yoko's often framed as controlling for things like you know and she, she did he did diets that were suggested by her or he they had the whole numerology thing so he went to bermuda because she was like you need to get a boat and you need to go to these coordinates and he was like okay yeah. <laughs> um, but um how much is that like did he need that yeah you know did he need to be told where to go and what mm. to do i mean even dear yoko which is such a sweet song is also about a man who cannot function on his own. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's like, I'm losing you. There's like lots of stories about how it was written, but there's certainly one where, you know, sometimes the story is told that she came out to Bermuda and she hated it and she left. And he was like, she's leaving me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it was like, she just didn't want to go on this holiday. She had stuff all going on in New York, but he, he like was so dramatic that he was like, she hates me now. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> It's like she just didn't like Bermuda. She thought it was too hot. Um, <laughs> Which I mean, I I get it. It's hot. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. She had like her, she was like surrounded by fans, and she was like, "I've had enough of this." Um, <laughs> but I think they changed each other a huge amount. You mm-hmm. know, like so he did all that with Sean, and like there's that beautiful moment like in Dear Yoko, he's like, get in the water, you know, and things, because she wouldn't get involved. And then in her music video for My Man, it's her playing in the sea with Sean. It's like, mm-hmm. once he died, she was like, right, I've got to do this now. Like, yeah. I've got to be daddy and mommy at the same time. Um, so it's, it's where do you draw the line between like healthy and unhealthy dependence, I think. For mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Wow. We got deep on uh, a song that's not that complicated, but I love it. <laughs> so This is okay. what happens when you think about the Beatles for too long. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's... I think songs that aren't that... Sorry. Oh, go, go, no, please. Sorry. I think songs that aren't that deep allow you to have so much more of a thing. Because it's yeah. not like, you know, a song is directly telling you everything about, you know, what's happening. And you can kind of, like, create easy meanings from that because it's pretty much said to you. But with songs where it's a bit more sort of, like... You know, it's not as deep a song. You can kind of go into it. And I know John Soft hated this, which is why he wrote um, I'm the Walrus, right? right? <laughs> but he was like, people stop looking into my songs, please. <laughs> um, but hey, we're allowed to is like, what, 50 years on. We all need to do something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but with songs like this, you know, where they're sort of one-off, written for a reason, not written like randomly like other songs. It kind of allows fans now to properly dive into them and mm-hmm. connect them to what we know now in retrospect about each of the Beatles. Yeah, it, it definitely, you know, there's so many springboards 
into so many parts of the conversation that can come from songs that, you know, aren't even, aren't even part of that, you know, thread that you go down. So it's, it's, it's so much fun to, uh, to do that and to dive in. Um, so with that in mind, let me, let me circle back. Uh, how do we feel about, I'm happy just to dance with you at 160 out of 223. Does that seem way off base to y'all or does that seem maybe okay? Where would you put it if you were going to rank everything? Uh, I think it's, I think it seems about right. I, I really think it does. Like for me, a hard day's night is also brilliant. That film is like accidentally maybe brilliant. <laughs> you know, help makes me want to like melt into the floor because it's like Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, like insensitive now, isn't it? You <laughs> watch it like oh no. Yeah. But hard day's night has got every time I watch it, I'm like shocked by how much pathos it has and like how bittersweet it is as this like snapshot of a moment in time it's this like lightning in a bottle thing and I'm happy just to dance with you is like George's moment in that so if you played the song in isolation for someone maybe I'd say it's ranked slightly too high but in the context of the Beatles story I think it's about right okay yeah I'm not going to give my thoughts on films because I think Give My Regret to Broad Street is a great film. I gave it about four and a half stars and it's in my top four films on Letterboxd. Well um, Which Chloe, I, every time I say that, she's like, what the hell? Because Chloe loves films and I'm here like, I love Give My Regret to Broad Street. <laughs> but no, I agree with where it is in, in the placement, you know? Okay. I think it's... Not the best standalone song, but in A Hard Day's Night and in sort of the Beatles, and especially George's role in the Beatles, it's quite an important song. Mm-hmm. Because again, George, you see so often this sort of narrative that he was, you know, left to the sidelines. But here you have, you know, John and Paul writing a song especially for George to sing. Right. And this is the last time they do it. This is the last time he goes to, th- to them for a song. Because after this, he's got his quota for every album. So this is kind of the last... Uh, this is throwing the bird out of the nest. Aww. Fly, baby George, fly. <laughs> what do you think, George? Fly, little tiny baby George. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I like where it is. I think it's fine. I yeah. think it's a charming song. Um, it, it's joyful. It's It it evokes a, a very sweet feeling um, as a standalone. Um, I don't, have I seen the movie? A Hard Day's Night? Yeah. Have I seen it? I think you have, but it's been a long while. <laughs> okay. You probably like, should watch it again. Yeah, probably. Which is an excuse for us to go watch it this oh, afternoon. Because we have nothing else to do today. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what have I set myself up yes. for? <laughs> I haven't gotten her to watch the Beatles anthology yet. She fights me tooth and nail every time I bring it up. But, but I did watch that Paul thing on YouTube. We did watch that. But we haven't finished 3 2 one, so we have to do that also. Oh, jeez. <laughs> There's so much. Plenty to go. Oh, and then man. Get Back's coming out uh, in November, so we've right. got to get ready for that. Right. So. And we've committed to watching with my cousin, who Celeste, who has been a guest on the show before. Yes. Um, so I've locked myself in for that, so you'll get me for that. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> well. Uh, and Real Yoko Ono is on YouTube, that documentary. It's this weird little yes. documentary, but it's got Kyoko and Sean as talking heads, and oh, wow. you rarely see Kyoko do anything like that. So I don't it's think like I've an interesting. heard her speak. I've never even yeah like, seen... well it's so interesting because she's so normal and lovely <laughs> <laughs> i love the bit that but no that's on youtube and it's overlooked i think okay it's called the real yoko ono 
interesting. Um, I, love, I love the joke y'all made in the recent episode about Yoko, about like Sean often spotting off, spouting off on Twitter about cryptocurrency. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad y'all picked up on that. Oh wait, if we're talking about our favorite jokes on your podcast, uh, the I forgot which episode it was. I think it might have been also the Yoko Ono episode, and you were talking about how. Um, Posts come up on John's account, and they're like, "Oh, this is woke Yoko. Uh, get off John's account." And I, I had to pause and just laugh at the thought of "get off John's account." Uh, what? I put a thread on for Yoko's birthday, and it's like remains the most popular thing I've ever done. I got like two thousand five hundred likes or something. Um, and someone quote tweeted it saying, I found Yoko's burner account. And that really made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Spectacular. Oh my God. <laughs> I love this so well, much. Sean's cryptocurrency, whenever I see anything like in Liverpool, the, the sign outside a shop that said, keep calm and buy Bitcoin. And I just sent it to Chloe. I was like, oh my God, Sean Lennon's in Liverpool. Sean's been here. <laughs> For me, I just get this, like, I have, like, palpitations. I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to lose the Lennon fortune on some, like, trying to build, like, a ladder to the moon out of bananas or something. He's going to be on Dancing, <laughs> he's gonna be on dancing with the Stars in the next, like, six months. And <laughs> just, I get, like, secondhand anxiety about it. <laughs> he goes all in on banana, banana coin. Banana coin. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm laughing really hard about that. My face is red. <laughs> uh, well, before we let y'all go for the day, uh, can we do some rapid fire questions? Mm-hmm. All right. Ready? Your favorite Beatles song? Uh, Daisy, go first. What's it called? Oh my god! I've completely forgotten. <laughs> You've got to high yell of away. All right. I love uh, it. That's, a good one. that's me. I'm terrible with song names. I'm always like, oh, what's that song? And I sing the lyric. That's the name of the song, and it's it's a disaster. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with my brain. Uh, Chloe, your favorite Beatles song? Julia. <gasps> Yay! Love it. That's an interesting favorite. I feel like not a lot of people have that as a favorite. Interesting. Okay. I like it. I just love it. Yeah, it's, it's so lovely. Pretty. It's nice. I really like that. It's one I've never been able to figure out how to play, and I'm like super intimidated by it. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff happening there behind the scenes. <laughs> um, your least favorite Beatles songs? I think my least favorite Beatles song is "Run for Your Life" for obvious reasons. Yeah, makes sense. It's fair. It's fair. Uh, I saw her standing there for wow. similar reasons. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see that. Okay, okay. Uh, favorite album? Chloe, you want to go first on this one? Uh, the White Album. Love it. Daisy, how about you? Help. Interesting. I feel like Help is kind of like slipping down in its uh, status, stature over the years. I have no way to gauge that. I don't, you're, <laughs> you're looking like, at I me for a reply, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I I don't take internet polls. <laughs> I think you should. Throw one on Instagram. I will not. I do not want these people in my mentions. <laughs> I will not. All right. Last one before we go. Uh, your favorite memory associated with the Beatles or a Beatles song or a Beatles-centric event or meeting a Beatle or anything involving Beatles? 
Daisy, you want to go first? Meeting Chloe. Aww. Aww. Love That's it. Great. I'm going to go even more romantic and say, um, like, dancing with you, with Daisy at the cabin and I love her. That was pretty nice. That's yes, adorable. Oh, my God. It. And this was on your trip when you just went? Yes. Oh, that's so great. I love it. (laughs) Wonderful. We had such a good time at the Cavern Club when we went there. We did. Oh, my God. We had so much fun. I don't remember. There there wasn't like a Beatles band playing. It was just another cover band. But they were really, really fun. And uh, I kind of like squeed a little bit and geeked out when we went down there. Yes. It, it was, was fun. And you made a new friend. I made a friend. Yes. It was fun. Yeah. I he saw this guy sitting on like at, at a table and I saw him sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and he had like didn't he have like a Beatles tattoo, an Oasis tattoo, yeah. like all your favorites? And I was like, Hun, it's your people. You should be friends with them. You should be guy. friends with him. <laughs> you just walked over and I was like Hey, uh, I like your tattoos. <laughs> and this guy stood up, and he's like six foot five, bald, uh, with like a a polo shirt, like buttoned up to here. And he stood up, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's gonna punch me right in the face!" And he was just like, "Oh, let's be friends!" It was like the nicest guy, and we had such a good time. So that's my yeah. He was very nice. <laughs> that's my romantic we went, clip story. <laughs> when we went England, we're playing in the Euros, and so there was like nobody in the cavern at all. It was like us and like six other people, and like this same guy singing Penny Lane over and over again. It was like, heaven. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so good. Um, well, I'm on my first year of university, and it's so different now because in in my first year of uni, I went online like with September. I moved, and it was obviously still quite humid, and the cavern's underground, so it was just so sweaty. Like I'd come out drenched. Yeah. But there was, it was so busy then because you could obviously stand up and dance, and people were just like singing so loudly. So it's very really different now. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Really oh chilled out now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you at least got to go. I know it's not the same experience as uh, pre-pandemic, but we'll get back there. Well. well they, they had the pictures on the wall and they had several pictures from when Yoko performed there in 2013. Mm-hmm. So I took some pictures mm-hmm. and I was on my personal account like, some boy band played at the same venue as this lady. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god, expert level. Oh, I man. adore it. The, the youths are so good at the internet. Y'all are. Y'all are okay. the best. Like, just the absolute best at the internet. <laughs> Amazing. So, gang, tell our listeners, uh, if, if you're not listening to All About the Girl, you should be. So tell them where they can check out All About the Girl. Tell them, like, the, the elevator pitch about the show. We can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but probably the easiest way to find us is on Twitter at About the Girl Pod, and then our link tree is in our bio. If you're interested in learning more about the women involved with the Beatles story, you know, check us out because I think we're pretty good. Yeah, and send us recommendations for women or like albums or certain things about the Beatles women that you want us to talk about in the future. We love getting recommendations to add to our very long list. A growing Google Doc. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. I'm glad to hear that there is a long list so that you will keep going because I really enjoy it. I I like your podcast because it's very interesting and I learn so much every time and have so much to think about. But also you two are just so wonderful and pleasant to listen to. Like it's your your joy comes through, your friendship shines. Like I just love it. It's so great. 
Well, when we move in together, I hope everyone's ready for like one episode every two days. Yes. <laughs> Bring it on. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. This has been an absolute blast. Uh, we hope we can do it again soon. We've got like 150 something more songs. So we'll have to do it again. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank you for having us. Chloe and Daisy from All About the Girl podcast, everybody. So much fun. How about that? I am honored that they joined us. I am too. I love it was I'm so glad that the timing worked out on this because just like a week ago you somebody you saw a Twitter thread where somebody was like how come no one ever talks about the women in the Beatles story and you were like oh yo I got all the wrecks for you right yeah you're just not looking hard enough well not that she's not looking hard enough it's just <laughs> it's it's not the most prevalent part of the conversation because there's so much other yapping about everything else right so right. uh you know anytime let's, we let's can... talk about their shoes some more I mean, they had good shoes. They did. If we're being honest, (laughs) fly footwear, if I may say. Um, So, friends, hopefully you guys enjoyed that conversation. What do y'all think about I'm Happy Just to Dance with You at number 160? Too high or too low? Or just right? (laughs) Like that sweet, sweet porridge eaten by the baby bear. Oh, my gosh. Every week I'm going to keep doing it. Letting it go forever. Um, let us know what y- <laughs> what y'all think <laughs> on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter in the comments section, wherever you're following us. Uh, if you're new to the show, you can follow us on Facebook at Ranking the Beatles. <laughs> if you're following us on Instagram at Ranking the Beatles or on Twitter at Ranking Beatles. That's right. And of course, it. you can keep up with all things Ranking the Beatles at RankingTheBeatles.com. Uh, and if you're enjoying the show and uh, want to show your appreciation, we would sure appreciate that appreciation. You can do so by buying us a coffee. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it's right there on our website at rankingthebeatles.com. Little coffee icon in the corner lets you put a tip in our proverbial uh, digital tip bucket. Should you feel so inclined, we'd appreciate it. Uh, anyway, uh, that's all for this week, gang. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, make sure you subscribe to uh, Ranking the Beatles on your podcast provider of choice. Make sure you subscribe to All About the Girl on your podcast provider of choice. Mm-hmm. And leave them and us your finest of five-star reviews. Only the five-star, though. Only That's all the we fives. Want. That's all we want. We'll take a four, but we prefer the five. You, you, can, you can get us to five. I believe in you. Think about it real hard. You get yourself to a five. <laughs> <laughs> Lift yourself to the highest precipice. <laughs> of reviews okay let's wrap it up (laughs) anywho until next week y'all have a great one i'm jonathan and i'm julia this has been ranking the beatles adios bye y'all